This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual-threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv, an unmatched dual threat. to Prospect 101. Remember, this is the show where we break down football prospects from all levels. We're talking high school. We're talking college transfers, college recruiting, NFL prospects, and the NFL draft. And as always, Prospects 101 is brought to you by our great partners and big supporters of the show, Blue Wire Pods, Thera CBD, and Bet Online. Now, remember, you can always interact with Prospects 101 on social media. That's at Prospects 101 pod and we're on facebook on twitter on instagram we're always releasing uh our shows out on those channels so if you want to stay up to date with what's going on here make sure you follow us there now another two-man show today uh just like recruiting roundup and i'm joined by my co-host live from charleston south carolina brandon pastel my man what's happening glass what's happening what's going on dude i you know what the funny thing is i'm excited because remember, the SEC preview was supposed to be our second-to-last preview, and it was supposed to be like college football starting in two weeks from now. Um, so it's funny how we designed this this path, thinking college football is going to start in two weeks. But, you know, we're going to delay it just another week. I think football starts September 12th is the first game. Uh, but it's still exciting to do these previews, so that means we're still playing football. If we if we weren't playing football, we probably wouldn't be doing these previews right now. But, Gluss, i got an interesting tidbit for you. I'm, I'm kind of just reading – perusing the internet right now, more or less. And I see a quote from Sam Ellinger, and I think he brings up a decent point. Uh, he pretty much said, and to paraphrase, actually, is because they, fry, they froze eligibility next year, so guys won't be losing a year of eligibility whether they play or they don't play next year. If they start, if a team starts out 1-3, 1-4, 1-5, because you start seeing teams really just tanking the rest of the season so they don't get key players hurt, and because they're not going to lose that eligibility anyways. Like, what's your thoughts on that, Glass? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's 2020. I think anything is possible. Um, I certainly <laughs> think he has a point. Uh, and I, you know, I, I not, you know, kind of a teaser for later in the show. I don't think a coach is going to get fired for 
what goes on here in, in this kind of weird, different season. Um, I could see it. Uh, I wouldn't put it past the realm of possibility. You know, you get, you know, that a school like Mississippi. Um, I could see somebody like Mississippi State doing it, Vandy, Arkansas. People that really, you know, they're, they're really good players are at a, at a premium, right? That They just don't have many of them. And going into protect and the ability to develop kids. I think that there's going to be a faction of – schools that use this year as a development year and to experiment with a lot of things, experiment with scheme, experiment with players, be able to, you know, develop a lot of the young talent that they feel like really needs to get on the field and play. So I don't see it happening from a, uh, well, uh, you know, we're one in four, so we're going to, we're going to bench all of our starters and play the young kids. I, I think it'll be like that from the start, but I think I, Look, Sam Ellinger is smart. I mean, it, it definitely could happen. I could see it happening. Yeah, I think uh, – yeah, you kind of just sold me on all that. I think it's a year. Once you start to find out your team is not going to be in the playoff hunt or you're really exceeding expectation for your university and your program, I think what you just said is probably the, the perfect middle where they start really experimenting from different offensive sets, defensive sets, different schemes. Yeah, of course, letting the young guy play a little bit more, especially if there's nothing really to play for other than the, the development. Um so I think really, yeah, experimenting, trying different things out, absolutely, because uh, it's kind of a freebie. I think, I mean, honestly, I think it's going to be a freebie for programs that aren't going to be in your top 15. Like Texas A&M, we'll talk about them later, but, like, I think that they will be on the hot seat this year, where other teams, no matter how bad you do, uh, I think you get a buy this year. Yeah, I think so as well. I, I think the schools that, that where you don't expect a lot, I think they get passes this year. And I think the coaches know that. I, I think maybe for the, you know, obviously they're going to they're gonna go roll out and try to win. But, you know, to your point, if a kid's not going to lose eligibility, you know, I, I think that they're just going to just continue to try to develop and experiment a lot of things and see how they can compete. Now, the bad news for college football fans, which it's, it's it's no secret. It means that we're probably more than likely going to see the same teams in the playoff, which it it kind of is what it is. Besides Ohio State, obviously, because Ohio State's not not playing this year. But um, interesting thing, and certainly a, a dynamic that we'll we'll keep a uh, keep an eye on uh, throughout. So instead of focusing on all college football, pastel, you know, let's let's dive into our preview show. So you know, for those who listen to our podcast on a weekly basis, we've been you know, doing this series where we take college football conferences, we do a, a college football preview about it, a preview show. Next, we, you know, we'll do a prospect show, and then we'll do a little bit more about the SEC coming up. But it's really kind of SEC focused for the next couple weeks or for the next couple episodes. But today is the SEC preview. So kind of, you know, we'll go over the state of the conference. Um, Brandon will kind of give the East-West predictions, you know, what, how he sees it playing out. We got some questions we feel like we need we need answered. Um, some key matchups. We've got some fan great fan questions coming in this week. Rapid fire, and then of course we'll end it with a prospect to watch. But first, Brandon, I want to start off with the state of the conference. Now, the SEC West, from a national championship perspective, has dominated the conference. Right? We're talking Alabama, we're talking LSU, and we're talking Auburn. All three schools within the last decade have won a national championship, LSU obviously being the most recent. Um, and then you have other schools in 
the West, such as Texas A&M. Ole Miss has had several years here in the last decades that have been good. So I still think this is a very West-heavy division. But, but all is not lost because I think that the East is improving, and they're improving significantly. Georgia has been the top dog in the East for the last five years. They have the best talent. But I would argue, and we're going to get into this a little bit, especially with your predictions, Florida is nipping on their heels. They have a lot of great talent. I really like what Dan Mullen's doing down there. So that, those are the top two. And I'm going to give you a school to watch out for. I think Tennessee is close to being back. I think the way they ended last season, seven out of eight wins, seven or seven, uh, seven wins out of the last eight games, um, most of those being SEC opponents as well as bringing in top recruits. Jeremy Pruitt's doing a fantastic job recruiting there. I think Tennessee has a lot of momentum here. I still think they're probably a year or two away from challenging for the East, but I do see the East getting stronger. I think for the last five to ten years, it's been the West has been the big juggernaut, and then you just kind of have Georgia or Florida out of the East. But I do see the East uh, improving. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with everything you said for the most part. I do think Tennessee is not uh, going to be, I guess, I don't think this is this year. I think they're one more year away because I think all those recruits that you just talked about from Pruitt, they're either the 2021 class or they're coming in this year as a true freshman. And I think those guys are going to really propel him to the next the next uh, tier, I guess you could say, of the SEC, especially with the talent that's coming back from Florida and Georgia over there in the yep. East. but. Yeah, just, just yeah, just one more before we get into your season predictions that that I just kind of want to do from the from kind of the state of the conference. I feel like it's a very top heavy conference. You know, Alabama. I you know, if you had to get your blue bloods in there, you got Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Florida. I'd throw in there, Auburn. So you know, out of the twelve, or I'm sorry, out of the fourteen teams, you know, five of them are pretty top heavy. Then you start to get into those middle tiers. You get the Mississippi states of the world. Um, obviously, I think Auburn's the top of that second tier. Kentucky, I think Tennessee's up there. South Carolina, and then you get the bottom. You get the Missouri's, the Arkansas's, the Bandies, the you know the Ole Misses. <clears throat> I think one thing interesting about the SEC, opposed to other conferences, you know, so I, I'll use the Pac-12 as an example, and and I'll use the Big Ten as an example too. I think the Pac-12 and the Big Ten are good examples. I think top to bottom, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten are better conferences. Right, I think that you know guys at the bottom realm compete at week in and week out and can win games. In the SEC, I don't see that. I don't see a Missouri ever going and beating an Alabama or a Texas A&M or an LSU or a Florida or a Georgia. Same with Vandy, Arkansas. Ole Miss may win one. South Carolina seems to never win a big game ever, um, and neither Tennessee. So I, it's very top-heavy. Um, there really isn't a, a really good balance of power if you talk top to bottom, but the top tier guys are, you know, they're among the nation's best. So just something interesting that's a little bit different than when you look at the Pac-12 or the Big Ten. All South Carolina fans right now, Cluster, are saying, what the hell? We beat Georgia last year. We beat a top five program. Great, great. What, what first time in a decade or whatever. I don't know. I'll have to look that up. Yeah, no. It hasn't I, happened very much. But, yeah, besides the, the outliers, I guess, like that, um, I mean, shoot, Tennessee, they lost to Georgia State last year. Like you just said, they, they went on an eight-game winning streak or seven out of the last eight. Like, seven, they were a completely yeah. different team, but they lost to a, to a crappy – I mean, no disrespect to 
Georgia State, but they lost to Georgia it's State. It's an FCS school. Yeah, it's an <laughs> FCS school. I mean, it, no way, shape, or form should Tennessee lose to an FCS school. Yeah, but I agree. And so I yeah. kind of just caveat off of that. So we're going to start with the, the West, and we're just going to go down from 7 to 1. We'll go to the East, and then we'll kind of just talk about it. But this is what – looking at the schedule and looking at kind of what's coming back, and I take into, I take into factor everything as far as the COVID offseason – that's why I think there's going to be some shifting that I don't know a lot of people are going to agree with me on here. But we'll start with uh, number seven, I think, in the West. You have Arkansas. They just don't have a lot, man. Uh, you got Rakeem Boyd. Remember the running back from Last Chance U? Yes. Independence Community College. He's their best player. He's probably talking about prospects. He's probably the, the top prospect on Arkansas's football team. He rushed for over, I think, 1,100 yards last year. He's a very solid running back. But Arkansas, they just don't have a lot coming back there. I don't think they're going to really do anything in the West. And especially because it's nothing but an SEC uh, schedule, I, I I think they're going to win three games this year. Their, their schedule is brutal, too. So when they pick up teams in the East, they pick up Georgia, they pick up Florida, right? So, I mean, that's got to be two losses right there instantly, yeah. right? I mean, their, their first three games are Georgia, Mississippi State, and Auburn. Like, yeah. they, can, they can realistically go 0-3 right there. But so that being said, number six, I got Lane Kiffin and I got Ole Miss. I think I, I like what Ole Miss is doing, honestly. I think they're kind of like Tennessee, like the arrow is pointing up. The, I think their best player to talk about for a prospect show as well. I think Elijah Moore, remember the, the dog that peed on uh, the Egg Bowl a uh, year or two yeah. ago? Uh, what that, an idiot. Their best what an idiot. I know, man. But he's probably their best player now. And he, if he decided to leave school this year, he'd probably you know be a mid-round pick. He's a dynamic wide receiver. But outside of that, they, they – they got a lot of guys coming in, a lot of transfers coming in. They, they're, the recruit classes are picking up. But as far as this year, uh, I don't see it. Uh, I, I think they win maybe four games. Again, they, they start out with Florida, Kentucky, and Alabama. So good chance they, they just win maybe one of those games, possibly, if they can beat Kentucky. Um, they, could, they very well could be 0-3 starting out the day as well. Next team, Mississippi State. I mean, you got Mike Leach coming over there. Uh, from Washington State, you got KJ Costello coming from Stanford. Which, by the way, little tidbit, like I, I still don't understand the KJ Costello hype train. Like he was nothing at Stanford, but because everyone knows he's going to do good in Mike Leach's offense, somehow now he's a first round, second round pick. Like I just don't understand that train of thought. Where if he would have stayed at Stanford and possibly would have got beaten out by the guy behind him, we're not even talking about him being a second round pick. But I think everyone just knows his numbers are going to be inflated in that offense and somehow that ups his draft stock like the player doesn't change that's just my own little I guess I'm just, all right I'm pass out stay on task stay yeah, on okay. task all right learn the plane number four Auburn I think you got a lot a lot to like down there you got Bo Nix coming back probably one of the top quarterbacks in the SEC as far as experience standpoint the recruiting class has been strong they lost a lot on that defensive line so I I think they just lost too much is what I'm going to say and then number three, LSU, speaking about losing people, they lost their whole entire team <laughs> to the NFL draft, like the first two rounds of the NFL draft. A couple players have already opted out for LSU. Uh, you got Miles Brennan coming in at quarterback, not well, once heralded four-star quarterback and set records, you know, in the high school landscape as far as passing touchdowns, uh, passing yards and everything. LSU, you have, to li- you have to like what Miles Brennan brings to the table. However, they just lost too much. And when a season, when you have no offseason, I just can't see them getting out of the gates as high as they would have last year because they had no offseason. It's a brand-new quarterback. They had 16 new starters coming in this year. Like, everybody's new. Or they're, they're, and yes, yes, they have talent. They've had top three group classes like the last five years. But you just can't expect freshmen and sophomores to come in there and quarterback that's never played 
to really up, uh, to, you know, be in that upper tier that they were last year. Number two, I think it's going to surprise people, Texas A&M. And I, mm. I had Texas A&M up there because, one, no, I'm not a big fan of Kellen Mond. I'm not a big fan of Jimbo Fisher, honestly. But when you have 16 players coming back, and again, in a season that you had no offseason, your quarterback is now going to his fourth year starting. Like, you just don't see that in the SEC. And it's not like he was bad. It's just, but, he, but he's going to bring that experience. He's going to bring a lot of uh, a lot of talent coming back, just bottom line. Like the continuity itself is going to really propel them to be in that top two in the West. And number one, Alabama, that's with Matt Jones or Bryce Young. I think whatever quarterback is at the helm, Alabama just has so much talent coming back. Like, that team is stacked. We could have a show on on themselves as far as like teams or guys getting drafted next year. And we would probably talk about 15 prospects. I mean, it's just absurd what they have coming back. And so, yeah, that's, that's my West Alabama taking it in the West. If you want, we want to go talk about the East class. You got any comments about that? Yeah, no, just a couple points before we get in the East. Um, I, I think the Texas A&M one is, is going to be, is going to be fun to watch. Because they have a lot coming back in the shortened season. I think it's a matter of if, if they can win a, a few big games in the West, they can pull off it, you know, beat an LSU and an Auburn. I think those are kind of the two big game on their schedules. I, I think Alabama is the cream of the crop there. I think LSU could probably challenge for that number two just because of how much depth they have. Uh, I mean, they're, you know, they just, they recruit just as well as Alabama does. So, I could see LSU jump in Texas A&M if, if Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M don't have a good season there. Uh, Auburn at four, I kind of like that. Uh, I, I like that right there. Uh, I think that they lost, um, you know, obviously their best defensive player, shortened season. I'm still not a believer in Bo Nix. I don't really think he had that great of a season last year as a true freshman. So we'll see if he kind of further develops. Um, Mississippi State, uh, Mike Leach, I think they're actually going to win, be able to upset – a team or two in the West. I really do. I think that they're going to take, take it by surprise. So I could easily see them moving up too, but six and seven, no doubt. Ole Miss, Arkansas. I think that's what you're going to see there. Yeah, absolutely. So going over to the East, I'll be a little faster on these bottom schools. Uh, instead of going on my little rants that I got going. So number seven, Vanderbilt, which I just want to go on a quick little rant. They just suspended uh, fo- uh, fo- football operations this past week. I'm not sure if you heard about that, Gless. Oh, I did not uh, hear that. Wow. So that's, so that's kind of big news in the st- sense of there was a little outbreak, if you want to call it. The, I think the president came out and said it was a small number of people that t- tested positive. So I think if they have it under control, it sounds like they are just going to suspend it for a day or two. It looks like they're going to come back to football next week. But it's, I think the one thing to take away from that is if it was a small number and it was enough to shut down the football program, what if there is another small number during the football season? And what, what does that look like for the, the day prior to the game? Just something to think about. Because, I mean, if there was only three or four people that got it, like I think that's expected. But for Vanderbilt, it might not be. Uh, number six, you got Missouri. Arguably probably has the best linebacker in the SEC, or at least the top two linebacker possible uh, first-round pick in, what's his name, Nick Bolton. Uh, stud linebacker there, USC, University of South Carolina. I got them at number five. Uh, number four, Tennessee, kind of just mentioned on the beginning. Uh, Pruitt, is on, Pruitt is one of the best, our big things there. They probably have the best offensive line, uh, by the way, coming back with uh, Cade Mays, uh, a couple other guys there. Uh, number three, Kentucky. They lose Lynn Bowden, uh, their quarterback, wide receiver, running back, whatever you want to classify him last year. He was pretty much their offense. Uh, but they have a lot of coming back on defense. They have a lot coming back on the offensive line. They have a great offensive line as well. So I think they just need to find some stability at the quarterback position. But if you can win eight games without a quarterback last year, I think they can do the same with an actual quarterback this year. So I, I like what Kentucky has. 
but no one's going to jump the top two teams. And that's Georgia. I have it number two. And they're just getting edged out by number one, Florida. And I think uh, that game, which, what day is that? That is going to be, let's see, the November 7th. So mark your calendar, November 7th. I think that's going to be played in Jacksonville again. Uh, that's going to be it. That's going to be for the East. And I got Florida winning it. Overall, I got Florida versus Alabama, and I've got Florida winning the SEC this year. Wow. Wow. That's, that's, that's a bold prediction for Pastel. Oh, man. <laughs> Florida upsetting and winning the SEC. Boy, I, I mean, personally, I think it would be fun to see that because uh, it, it'd be good to – I mean, I think the, the SEC in college football would like to see Florida be back to being, you know, early 2000s Florida under Urban Meyer. Um, and good to see what Dan Mullen's doing down there. A couple things here. Um, Kentucky number three. I'll be curious to see how that plays out. Um, I think that Mark Stoops has done a fantastic job there. Let's see if we can kind of put it together in this kind of shortened season. Uh, South Carolina at five, that sounds about right. They're kind of the definition of mediocre, lower mediocre as far as the tiers. Vanderbilt, Missouri, that kind of makes sense. Those two programs just frankly aren't very good and don't have a lot of players. And then the Florida-Georgia one's going to be interesting. You're going to have the, um, you know, their annual game that they always play. And I think the winner of that will end up being the winner of the East, obviously. I just think Georgia has too much talent to not win the East at this point. They've recruited so well over the last five years. They have the talent, and this is going to kind of get into, you know, the, the the next segment as far as kind of questions that I need answered this year. But, I mean, I still see Georgia being the cream of the crop in the East and playing Alabama for, for the SEC championship. But yeah. I, uh, let's see what Florida does on offense. I think that's kind of the biggest thing for me. Can they replicate what they did a year ago? Can Trask, you know, elevate his game, like, you know, elevate his game even more than what he showed last year? I mean, Kyle Trask was extremely impressive. Um, first Florida quarterback since 2001 to average 300 yards a game passing. So kind of looks like that that offense is really turning more into a pass-heavy offense. And let's see if they can beat Georgia with it. I think that's ultimately going to be what it comes down to. Yeah, I think the one thing for George, though, and people aren't, Highlighting, yeah, you got Jamie Newman in, you got JT Daniels. No matter who wins that quarterback spot, it's a good position to be in. But they lost four players, and I mean four dominant players on that offensive line. They had one of the best offensive lines in college football last year. And you lose four of those players, I can't overestimate like how much how much of a big deal that is. And yes, they've had top three recruit classes the last three or four years, but they have two players on offense, two returning starters on offense coming back. That's that's not a lot, man. And I, and I get yeah, you have you have arguably a better quarterback coming in. Uh, you got Samir Smith, uh, the running back, uh, coming in, the number one running back in the nation two years ago. Uh, Pickens on the outside. Like, you have guys that doesn't necessarily didn't start last year that are probably better than the guys they're replacing, but there's still a lot of turnover. And, I mean, it sounds like a, a broken record at this point, but I think just coming out of the gate, man, when you have had maybe two weeks of padded practices and installing a system, trying to figure out who your quarterback actually is going to be, trying to work with the, the line rotations as far as, like, who's going to be your offensive line and who's going to be your left guard, right guard. So you're just trying to play with the different sets. It's going to be interesting to see how Georgia does with so much turnover. When I do agree, as far as talent on the team, they're probably just as talented as Florida, if not more talented. But I like the continuity with Trask at quarterback, uh, and that's why I got Florida uh, taken in, uh, in the East. Gotcha. Well, let's go into some questions that I need answered, Pastel. Um okay. And, and a lot of it's going to go off of, uh, you know, what you, what your kind of predictions were in the West and the East. So kind of number one, can, can Georgia win the big game? 
Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live, out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. Plus, Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. Prospect 101 fans, are you suffering from tight muscles, tough workouts, signs of aging? Simply make it through each busy day. Everyone understands what it feels like to be tense and sore, so everyone can benefit from TheraOne's CBD products. Started by Dr. Jason Wurzlin, TheraBody exists to provide you with the best scientifically validated natural solutions to help smooth your body and relax your mind. It started with revolutionary TheraGun Cusive Therapy device when Dr. Jason saw the benefits of using CBD in his treatments. He treated TheraOne to bring you CBD products done right. A lot of CBD products claim organic but still contain up to 30% filler, and these fillers are potentially toxic. Yes, toxic. TheraOne tests their products four times before they get to you. Every product is USDA certified organic, grown in the U.S., and their CBD extracts are the highest quality available anywhere. Use TheraOne's warming lotion in your morning routine, the cooling lotion, or massage oil to recover, body balm for targeted relief, and sleep uh, tincture to drift into the deep night's sleep. And now, through Labor Day, yes, Monday, September 7th, TheraOne is offering our listeners a buy one, get one free for all TheraOne products, but you've got to go to theragun.com slash bluewire. If you don't love what you get from TheraOne, send it back. Full, font, full refund. Within 30 days of purchase, this is not something that TheraOne is going to do most likely again. Buy one, get one free at theragon.com slash bluewire, but only until Labor Day. Go right now to theragon.com slash bluewire. And when I mean the big game, I mean SEC championship. I mean, you know, college football playoff. I, you know, is Kirby smart? Is this year they break through and kind of win some of those big games? Because in the past three or four years, they haven't been able to do that. Obviously, losing the national championship uh, in overtime to Alabama, uh, losing the SEC championship the following year, and then, of course, last year going to the SEC championship and just getting boat raced by uh, LSU. Now, no shame in what happened LSU against LSU last year, as in LSU did that basically to everyone. So, you know, but can Georgia win the big game? I think that's ultimately kind of the big question for me. So when they play Florida – can they win that game? And if they do win that game and win the East, can they win the SEC championship? I think that has yet to be seen. What two is Florida back? Is Florida back to being a top 10 national program? According to you, you think that is the case. You think that Dan Mullen has the talent in there. They have the offense to compete week in and week out in the SEC. I think that's a question that I still need answered. I think people were really excited for, for, for uh, Felipe Franks last year. Um, you know, then Kyle Trask took over as far as, you know, the offense was concerned with the injury to Felipe Franks, and they performed quite well. So are they back? And I think that is going to be a big question that we'll see here in this strict 10-game schedule, and we'll see how their talent evaluates with all the other SEC programs. Three, is LSU a one-hit wonder? 
right? Our, you know, they had a, obviously a fantastic year last year, 15-0. I think they beat eight top ten opponents. Is that it for LSU? And are they back to kind of being the second fiddle to Alabama in the West, or are they constantly going to win the West, kind of going back and forth with Alabama? So I think that's a big question. Does Miles Brennan have the ability to lead them back to where they need to be and where they were a year ago? Can they reload? Uh, you know, again, like you said, they lost a lot of talent to the NFL draft. I mean, they had so much talent on that roster, and a lot of it went pro. Um, obviously, you still got Jamar Chase there. You know, I think that LSU is not a one-hit wonder. I think that they'll be able to reload and challenge for the SEC West again. Uh, but are they a one-hit wonder? And I think that that's one question that we'll see here in this, this short COVID-shortened season. Uh, Texas A&M, is this the year that they win the West? Is this the year that they challenge Alabama? Is this the year that Jimbo Fisher finally breaks through? Is Kellen Mond going to be the Heisman Trophy candidate that we all believe that he can be and kind of what he's been hyped up to be. Does Texas A&M have the defense to compete with the likes of an Alabama offense and with the likes of an LSU offense? Um, you know, ultimately can Jimbo Fisher win big games in the West? And so that would kind of be my question number four. And then five, this is something we talk, <clears throat> talked off air, but how close is Tennessee to competing for an SEC East championship last year? Obviously, starting off the year, losing to Georgia State, terrible look for the Jeremy Pruitt program of the Tennessee Volunteers. But they ended up winning seven of their last eight games. Uh, they have a lot of momentum on the recruiting trail. There's a lot of positivity in volunteer land. I think that they're still probably a year or two away from competing for the SEC East, but I think there's a caveat here. I think that they are going to win one or two really big games against really good opponents. And I mean like LSU, A&M, Bama, Georgia, Kentucky. I think that they'll win Florida. I think that they'll win two of those games. I don't know which ones, but I think there's enough talent on that roster that they'll be able to do that. I think what Jeremy Pruitt's doing there is fantastic. And I think college football needs Tennessee to be back. They've kind of been dormant for the last 20 years. So how close are they? And I think that's something to really keep an eye on as we watch Tennessee play on Saturdays in this SEC schedule. Yeah, so quick points on some of those is think about this for a sec, Gless. The Achilles heel to Georgia football the last three years has been the Alabama backup quarterback. Okay, so think about this. And we're talking about Georgia, can they win the big game? Like you're, To answer your question, because of the Alabama backup quarterback, they can't. Think about this. They were – in what, overtime versus Alabama uh, in the national championship, if it wasn't for Tua coming into that game as the backup, they probably won that game. They were running away with that game, so Tua got inserted into that game, and they came back and made – I mean, the legend of Tua started that day in the national championship. Fast forward to the next year in the SEC championship. Tua is getting dominated uh, by Georgia. I think Georgia's up by two touchdowns, and then uh, Alabama's like, okay, let's put in the backup quarterback, Jalen Hurts, now. And Jalen Hurts kind of resurrected his career at that point and was like the hero of Alabama and brought them back from a comeback uh, victory to beat Georgia in the SEC championship. If they win those two games, we're talking about Georgia being uh, a national champion, going to the playoffs again, being an SEC champion. And so that, like, they would have won those big games is what I'm saying. What could have, been, could have been, should have been, I guess. But it's just kind of funny to think what, if Alabama didn't have the backup quarterbacks they did, we're talking about Georgia in a whole different light right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as Texas A&M, is this their year to win the West? Uh, if there were, ever was a year, it's this year because Matt Jones, we all think is an okay quarterback. We all think Alabama has a lot of talent. 
but we all know Alabama has Bryce Young in the wing. And Bryce Young, as soon as he actually gets a grip of that offense and becomes the player that we all know he's going to be, Alabama's going to be unstoppable for the next three years. So the year to do it is this year when you have 16 returning starters uh, and the most senior quarterback in the in the entire conference, the most experienced. So to answer some of your questions, Glass, I guess if there was ever a year, Texas A&M, yes, they can do it this year. Is my money on them? No. <laughs> and if they don't do it this year, then I don't know if they're going to have another shot for f- until five more years from now. Right. Well, we'll see. I mean, they, they keep bring, bringing in big talent. You know, it's certainly not a talent issue, I don't think. I think it's more of, you know, in the big game, can they have, get, you know, players to go out there and really take them over the top? And, you know, I, I think Jake Fromm did a fantastic job there. But does does Jamie Newman or JT Daniels kind of catapult them and able to kind of make those big plays in crunch time? Now, the one thing I'll say about Georgia and what they've done uh, here in the last uh, four or five years, their running game is fantastic. I mean, you took it, the ability to get first-round NFL talent, and you got multiple guys in the backfield that can do that. You've got a massive offensive line. I mean, they're going to be able to compete week in and week out and be able to control the ball. But do they have enough game breakers to, you know, specifically at the wide receiver position in order to break open a game? Can you beat an, beat an Alabama or an LSU through the air and I think it will be something to keep an eye on as they play this year. Um, but that's kind of my feedback about Georgia. I think Kirby Smart's a, a good coach, um, but can he win the big game? And I think that's going to be the ultimate, the biggest question, if they're the ones playing in the SEC uh, championship when they play whoever comes out of the West, if, if so. So, Brandon, what about a team most to prove in the SEC? Okay. And by the way, Georgia is running back university now. It is running back university. It's <laughs> ridiculous. Team most to prove. Uh, I'll be quick on them because I feel like we've kind of highlighted them enough at this point. But it's Texas A&M. It's Jimbo Fisher. He's in his third year. We all knew what he did at Florida State winning a national championship. We all expected kind of the same level of recruiting classes and production at Texas A&M. I don't think we've gotten it. I think people are sick and tired of hearing the potential of Kellen Mond and not actually producing the way we think he could. I think he had 28 total touchdowns last year, eight rushing, 20 passing. Those are okay numbers, but in today's college landscape, that's that's petty numbers. I mean, Joe Burrow threw 57 touchdowns last year. Not to compare the two, but, like, those numbers, what, five, six years ago sound like, oh, 28 TDs. Like, that's awesome. Eight, touch, eight touchdowns rushing, awesome. But it's not – in today's offenses, it's not very good, I guess, anymore. But you have 16 returning starters. You're in the West where there's so much changeover with LSU losing so much people, uh, talent. Al- uh, Auburn losing so much defensive talent. Alabama has finally gotten rid of Tua. The, the legend of Tua is gone. And the legend of Bryce Young has not yet began. So, like, the team most approved is Texas A&M because this is their year to do it. They have no more excuses. And if they don't do it, I'm not saying Jimbo Fisher's on the hot seat because I don't know what his buyout looks like or anything like that. But as a fan base, I would be so upset if they can't at least finish in the top two of the West this year. And if they don't, I would not want to be a, a Texas A&M fan. Yeah, I mean, I, I, one, I think that buyout is massive. Um, Texas A&M has always kind of struggled with this dynamic of wanting to be the University of Texas, and so their boost, their booster base is, is huge. And, you know, we covered this on another podcast episode as far as kind of the tiers of college football jobs, and Texas A&M is definitely a tier two just because just for the fact that the amount of money that that booster program brings in there, great facilities, Obviously, they're in the state of Texas, so the ability to get good talent in there is pretty easy for them to do to compete with a Texas. Um, 
you know, I, but I agree with you. It's it's year three. Jimbo Fisher's won a national championship before. He's got a veteran quarterback, and they return a lot of starters. If there was a year for them to win the West, I think it would be this year. I mean, this it's kind of matching up perfect for them and and how they want it to play out. A lot of it's going to depend on Kellamon and if he can make some big plays down the stretch in critical moments and critical games in order to take them over the top. You know, as we've been able to see with a lot of these teams that have won the West or won the SEC, it's really been the play out of the quarterback position as of recently that's been able to do that. You look at Alabama and you look at Tua. Um, you look at LSU. You look at uh, Joe Burrow. You look at Auburn and Cam Newton. I mean, you're looking at you at Texas A&M when um, – oh, gosh, what's his name? The, the coach was there. Um, Kevin Sumlin, right? Yeah. They had Johnny Manziel. Yeah. Um, you know, do they have the quarter? Do they have the quarterback play to to kind of take them over the top? Because that's ultimately what you need. You need dynamic offenses to win the SEC. And there's a year for them to do a pastel. I think it's this year, but I think they have do have the most to prove. Now, I will say that from a record perspective, they have um, they have a little bit of an uphill battle. Uh, you know, for example, they had to replace two of their two of their uh, scheduled games with kind of lesser FCS opponent or yeah, FCS opponents or a G5 program. And they picked up two teams from the East. And I believe that they pick up Florida and they also pick up Tennessee. Um, so, you know, those are not easy games, especially that Florida and that Florida game is, is pretty early for them. So we'll, we'll be able to see if that they're, if they're for real pretty early on. Yeah. I mean, I agree, Gless. Uh, I, I I don't know if I even hope for it because I don't even care about Texas A&M. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's going to be interesting, Gless. That's why I can't wait for college football. I can't wait for some of these games to be coming up. Yep. Let's talk about some key matchups. Again, the, the SEC released their schedule about a week ago. Uh, you know, nice nice little grid, and we'll actually put our grid as far as an attachment in the uh, in the notes of this podcast, so make sure to t- uh, take a look at that. Um, but, Brandon, what do you – what are some key matchups you see here? What are some key dates that you're taking a look at? Yeah, well, I'll say this, too. For opening football, the fact that the SC, I mean, everyone's going to be dying for this this first week, uh, September 26th. And you look at the opening slate of games, and they all suck, man. Yeah. <laughs> you got, like, Alabama versus Missouri. You got, like, uh, Florida versus Ole Miss, Georgia versus Arkansas. Like, it's just not a sexy week of football, the opening week. Now, we'll say week two is going to be pretty big with Auburn versus Georgia. So October 3rd, uh, that's going to be at the University of Georgia, I believe. That's going to be a yep. fun one to watch. Uh, you got think, Texas A&M, Alabama that day too. Okay, yeah. That's yeah, a big that, one. That would yeah. be a good one. I think the next big uh, game will be Georgia versus Alabama, uh, and that is going to be October 17th. That same day, you got Florida versus LSU. So, so that's going to be a big weekend. Even Kentucky versus Tennessee, we all know that's a big rivalry. So October 17th, I think those are the big games. Obviously, Georgia versus Alabama will be the one that highlights that day. I mean, arguably the best two teams in the SEC. I think moving down, we've already talked about it a little bit, but Georgia versus Florida, the winner of that is going to win their side of the conference. Uh, and that is going to be, what I say it was? Um, November 7th. And that's going to be in Jacksonville, Florida, of course. Oh, man, I, w- I always want to go to that game, too, being in Savannah, like two hours away from Jacksonville. I bet that is a fun game to go to. Uh, but then kind of really just rounding out the schedule, I think we got LSU. They play. They got Alabama on uh, November yes. 14th. That'll yes. be huge. Yep. And then they've also got 
Texas A&M on Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah, um, so that would be, be a big one for the, for the West. And then you have Auburn versus Alabama, obviously the Iron Bowl on November 28th. So a lot of big games. Obviously, it's going to be fun because it's all SEC. So, like, if you look at this, be like, oh, they got an easy uh, – Alabama has an easy schedule. Normally they say they play two or three teams that are, like, SES teams. Like, that's always the joke about Alabama. But not this year. Like, this year every team is playing SEC teams. So it's going to be upsets. I will say I think – you're going to see a two-loss team make the playoffs this year from the SEC just because they're going to get beat up by each other. So I would not be surprised by that. I mean, when you're playing – I mean, just I'm just looking at the schedule right now. I mean, just week in, week out. I mean, look at stuff from Missouri. They got Alabama opening weekend. Then they got LSU two weeks later. Then they got Florida two weeks later. <laughs> then they got Georgia two weeks later. Yeah, just, yeah. just a gauntlet. <laughs> yeah. Missouri's got a way to go. Couple, A uh, couple games that kind of stand out to me opening weekend – I think uh, Mississippi State LSU be interesting to see how the LSU offense comes out there without Joe Burrow, uh, and then of course Mississippi State with Mike Leach. I had a couple one here on the 24th. Tennessee plays Alabama, and then on October 10th, Tennessee also plays Georgia. I think that Tennessee wins one of those games. I don't know which one, but I'm I'm high on Tennessee. I think that they're again, like I said in the in the preview, I think that they'll win one of those. Uh, one of those few games <clears throat> late season we mentioned already, Texas A&M, Alabama, and then Texas A&M plays Auburn in back-to-back weeks uh, to end their season. I think that'll ultimately tell us how good Texas A&M is because they, they get Alabama early. They get them the second week of the season on the uh, October 3rd. But really after that, they've got, you know, Florida's going to be tough, but then they got Mississippi, uh, Mississippi State, Arkansas, South Carolina, Tennessee, Ole Miss, so a pretty favorable stretch there. And then the last two games are just crucial for Texas A&M if they're going to go ahead and win that West, and that's LSU and Auburn. So something to keep in mind in there for those Texas A&M fans to see if they really are going to break through and win that SEC West. Those last two games are going to be super, super crucial. And then, you know, then you got Auburn. I, I think Auburn's another interesting use case. They get Georgia early in the season. They get LSU halfway through the season. And then, again, they end their seasons with Alabama in the Iron Bowl. And then they actually finish their season with Texas A&M. So I think when it comes to the West, there's going to be a lot of movement those last two weeks uh, due to the matchups that we see. That's so awesome. I love it, man. Like, every week. This is why we love college football, because every week means something. So when you look at this schedule, it's just like, man, there is just a big-time game after big-time game. And we're going to talk about Georgia being the number one team in the SEC. And then three weeks later, they could be the number three team because they just went through the gauntlet of Alabama, uh, Florida. You know what I mean? Like, it's just so much movement's going to happen. Yeah. I would be surprised. I would be surprised if any team goes undefeated in this schedule. Yeah, I'd be stunned. Uh, one more note, I think uh, LSU defending national championships have a very favorable schedule. Um, they get Mississippi State, Vandy, Missouri, first three games of the season. I anticipate them winning all three. Th- then they get Florida, uh, and that game is going to be a lot of fun on the 17th. We'll really be able to see what Miles Brennan and the LSU offense is able to do against really a top-10 opponent. Then they get South Carolina kind of a down, and then they get Auburn, and then they have a bye week, and then they get Alabama, then they get Arkansas, and then they get Texas a and then ultimately end uh, with Ole Miss. So I think it's very favorable schedule because they have a tough game, kind of a down game. I, I think their schedule is very favorable from a from an opponent's perspective is the fact that they re- really don't play a lot of big opponents back-to-back. So I think that's something to keep in mind as well. 
yeah, and the fact that they have some time now to develop that young talent. And these guys that didn't play uh, last year, they had pretty much three games to get it in, like to develop, yeah. mature. And then your first big game is Florida on October 17th. Like that helps LSU a lot when you have other programs like Georgia playing Auburn their second week. Like that, that, that just sucks for teams like that. But LSU schedule definitely is more favorable for, towards them. Definitely. All right, Pat. So let's get into some fan questions here. Okay. Uh, number one, uh, what we'll do here, I'll ask you the question. You start. I'll go ahead and uh, answer it right after you. So let's from go. Jack Stevens, uh, seventy ninety two, is the season going to start? Yes, the season will start. My gut tells me it will only get through about three or four games, and then it's going to get canceled. That's my gut. However, I do think with everything else opening up, like NFL, MLS, MLB, the more people's appetite becomes accustomed to seeing sports under the pandemic, I think we start understanding the risk of it. I think it just it just gets more acceptable to the to the media. So if every other sport can do it uh, successfully, that bodes well for the NCAA football, even though I know they're amateurs. But still, from a perspective standpoint, a PR perspective, it looks better if everyone else can do it safely. And that's the only way I think NCAA has a chance of finishing the schedule is if every other sport doesn't shut down and they can do it successfully. What my gut says, by week four, week five, they might be over, man. Yeah, I think the season's going to start. And right now I actually think the season will be finished too. And let me tell you why. I think a lot of these schools are starting to go online only. Uh, I think once you start to get into the rigors of the season, I think what we're seeing in the NFL and what we're seeing in the NBA and what we're seeing in Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer, and the NHL, in a controlled environment, you can actually make this thing happen. Now, are you going to be able to have 18 to 21-year-olds be controlled? I'm not sure, but I think that the temptations could be taken away for them to kind of blow it up. But I think once you're in the rigors of the season, I – I, I don't think you're going to see a lot of breakouts in the football team. I think what you're going to see is you're going to see breakouts on campuses. And I think that then it's going to be the appetite of the school presidents and the SEC commissioner and SEC officials if they're able to take that PR backlash. But I agree with you. I think this is all really media-driven. And if, if the NBA has been able to do it, Major League Baseball, NFL, hockey, they've all been able to keep – COVID infections, very isolated, and they've been able to play. So I do think the season's going to start, and I actually am very bullish on the season ending as well. The oh, SEC is going to want to play no matter what. Football is biggest down south, so I actually do think that they're going to finish. If they don't finish, it won't be due to one of these teams having a COVID outbreak in their teams. It will be because things break out on their campuses. Yeah, and hopefully uh, same-day testing becomes more and more – regular yeah they exactly they came out with this saliva test this week um i know that that's big that helps Um, a lot and that helps a lot and with a lot of these sec schools man they got big budgets and i think ohio state for as an example spent millions of dollars on just testing uh tests and protocols in order to keep it in place i would imagine that a lot of these programs have done similar type of things as well so all right moving on uh from david bond on instagram uh, uh, David Bond on Instagram. Who should start, Jamie Newman or JT Daniels? Uh, Jamie Newman. He's got the experience. He showed he can be as dynamic as a player in the college landscape over at Wake Forest. I do like JT Daniels. I don't think people give JT Daniels enough credit for an 18-year-old kid playing at USC, which would have been his senior year in high school. 
two years ago, and then he got hurt, got to pass by uh, Slovis, who we all think is one of the best quarterbacks in football. But Jamie Newman, he's the guy. Mix it up at Georgia, please. For the love of God, we've had the same type of quarterback for like the last 10 years, I feel like, there, and it just hasn't worked to the, the extent that we expect Georgia football to be, which is a national champion at this point. So Jamie Newman, let's give it a go. I think he should start. I'm going to go Jamie Newman as well. I think Georgia is in a win-now uh, win mindset. I think Jamie Newman will not only be the starter this year, but it will be the starter next year, especially not losing eligibility. Uh, but I think Florida's in a win now. Or I, I'm sorry, I think Georgia's in a win now mindset. I'm not saying that JT Daniels is a project by any means, but JT Daniels still isn't even cleared to practice, you know, full go practice. I know that Newman had some injuries in the offseason. I think Newman's got the leg up. I think Newman has the experience. Newman has big game experience. So I, I'm going to go with Newman on this one. I don't think JT Daniels is going to challenge for that spot. I, I think JT Daniels is going to end up being kind of a guy that just never really starts at the Division One level. After Newman's done, Georgia's got some big quarterback prospects in there, so it'll be a matter of JT Daniels can win that. But I, I think Newman's the the leader in the clubhouse, and I'd be I'd be surprised if if Daniels even got some snaps under center for Georgia this year. From anonymous, so I guess somebody that we didn't get their name on Instagram, but thoughts on Miles Brennan. He's a big dude. He's six foot four, uh, 207 pounds. A very heroic quarterback coming from uh, the state of Mississippi, where he set records for passing touchdowns. Passing, I mean, he had over 166 passing touchdowns in high school. Good God! <laughs> I was yeah. happy when I got to 10, man. <laughs> That's right. But uh, the, the dude is well respected among his teammates. He's not going to be Joe Burrow. You got to get that out of your mind. You just if he's half of Joe Burrow, if he can throw 30 touchdowns this year, I consider that a very, very successful season. I think that's probably what my expectation will be is between 25 and 30 TDs, probably around seven to 10 interceptions. Not as mobile as Joe Burrow, but he's got a live arm. I was watching some uh, film on him the other day. I think he moves a little bit too much in the pocket. Like he's got too much motion in his arms, his feet. Like he's like, he's always moving too much. It doesn't seem as calm and collected as I would like to see, but he's, he's still very young, but I think he's a lot of talent, a very, very, very live arm. So I think you have to love what, his talent and skill set is, uh, he just needs experience, and he's going to get that. Yeah, I don't know if I have a, a, a lot more to add other than he's got, in my opinion, the best receiving core in the SEC, in LSU. He's certainly got the best receiver in the country in Jamar Chase. That, uh, that, that certainly helps. Uh, I, there's a lot of pressure on his shoulders, um, but I will say this. when Joe, uh, you know, Nobody really knew who Joe Burrow was two years ago, and you know, Joe Burrow was a <laughs> six-round draft pick coming you know coming into last year so I think anything is possible uh with them I, I just haven't seen enough to where I have kind of a definitive yes or no on him hasn't really gotten a lot of reps so uh but what I can say is he certainly has talent around him and I don't think it's going to be a lack of not having playmakers that he can get the ball to I think it's going to be matter can he make big throws in big moments Joe Burrow was able to do that and Joe he was able to do that early and often um, I don't know about his accuracy. Joe Burrow, again, one of his biggest thing was, you know, he's just so ridiculously accurate. So, you know, what can Miles Brennan do? Can he put the ball on a dime? Can he get the ball down the field? Can he make big plays in big moments? I don't know that because I haven't seen it. Uh, but, you know, I haven't seen that. But that's no fault to his. He hasn't had any playing time. Ultimately, look, the proof's in the pudding. He's going to have a lot of experience this year. I don't see them putting another quarterback in there. I think they're going to ride or die with Miles Brennan. Um, Love the last name, so big fan of that. <laughs> uh, that's just kind of my thoughts on him. I, I don't really have much much else to add. Yeah, man, let's keep so, going. Let's keep doing some more questions. 
Let's have, all right. So now let's get the rapid fire pastel. Let's let's not do more than a sentence. All right. More than a sentence here. Okay. How many SEC teams will make it to the playoffs without the Big Ten and Pac-12? I think two. I think one from the East and one from the West. I'm going. I'm going the same. I'm going two. Coaches who will get fired this season? I'm gonna go. This might shock some people. I'm gonna go Derek Mason from Vanderbilt. And I know there's not a lot of expectation down there, but in six years, the guy has yet to have a winning season. And last year was one of his worst with three wins. Yeah, I'm going to go none. I think that this season is so wishy-washy. I, I don't see anybody getting fired here. I think the only coach, if it was a regular season, would be Will, Will Muschamp. But other than that, I, I, I don't see any coaches getting fired. Uh, how many games are played before Bryce Young takes over for Mac Jones? I think uh, it's going to be one of those things that – this first big game is Georgia. The fourth game is first Georgia. So I think he's going to take over probably halfway through that game, just like two did. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, gotcha. I'm going seven. I think he, he'll actually get in there because of an injury. I don't. I think Mac Jones will do enough to keep that job uh, throughout the season, just because of the talent that they have. But I think that he'll actually take over for Mac Jones due to an injury more than actually his play on the field. Uh, best receiving core in the SEC. Ooh. I think I gotta go Alabama, right? Okay. Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle. Uh, so I'd probably go Alabama. Then those guys both can be first round picks. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go LSU for the fact that it's just Jamar Chase. He's the best receiver in the country, and I think that they've recruited extremely well at the receiver position in order to match guys in there to complement off him. So I'm going LSU. Uh, best cornerback in the SEC. Does he have to draft eligible? Because it's Derek Stingley from LSU. <laughs> if if he, if he doesn't have to be draft eligible. Then he's, be the best, he's the best defensive football player in probably college football, actually. Derek Stingley okay. LSU. Wow, wow that's, a, that's, that's bold. Uh, I'm going Patrick Sertan Jr. I think he's the best corner in the league, and he'll be the first corner taken, in my opinion, in the NFL draft. He's the cleanest uh, possible, for sure, yeah. Yeah, uh, for doubt. Uh, and that's all I had for rap, rapid question. I'm going to pass on to put you on the spot. Do you have any rapid-fire questions that, that came to mind as we were talking through? Oh, um, who do you think the best running back is? I mean, are, are we sold on the, the Alabama running back, Najee Harris, as the best guy in the SEC? I'm sold on Najee Harris. I watched the LSU-Alabama film last year, and he single-handedly took over the second half. And the LSU defense literally couldn't do anything. He's dragging dudes all over the field. I think Najee Harris is an amazing running back, and I think he's the best running back in the SEC, if not the country. I just get I don't know it's something about it. It's nothing to do with him, but just tall running backs, like six foot two, six foot three type running backs. Besides like uh, Derrick Henry uh, for Tennessee Titans, like you don't see a lot of those guys in the NFL uh, do too well. But I mean, I, I do believe he's going to be a good running back, and I think a very underrated uh, skill set of his is receiving. So yeah, yeah I guess I agree with you on him. Yeah, he's a great pass catcher out of the backfield too. I I watched that LSU film, and I just was like jumping up and down like I was getting excited just watching him like yeah. fire on the sideline I would have just given him the rock every play which is exactly what they did and LSU couldn't do anything to stop it um <laughs> so I think he's the I think he's the best there uh I'm gonna throw one more at you over under six wins for Tennessee or you know I'm gonna put the line at six and a half win total for Tennessee over under uh let's see one two three. uh I'm, it may, I, I guess I go Man, I, I don't want to say over. They're going to lose versus Georgia. They're going to lose versus uh, Florida. They're going to lose versus Auburn. Uh, under. They're going to lose four games. I'm going. I, I'm going over 
going over here, like I said earlier, I think that they'll win two games that they'll be underdogs in, whether that's Georgia, Alabama, Auburn, or Florida, or Texas A&M. They'll win two of those, and then they'll win uh, their other five SEC, uh, other SEC eight games. So I think that they're seven, so I'm going to take the over there. I don't see it, man. <laughs> I think I for, for, for the two wins that you said that they might win and upset somebody, I think they get upset by Kentucky, too, or South Carolina. Like, they will just get upset as many times as they upset somebody this year. I got to say, when it comes to SEC programs, I, man, I just don't respect Kentucky. I, yeah. I know that's bad. I just don't respect them, though. Right? It's kind of like in the NFL. Like, I just generally don't respect, you know, different different franchises like the Lions. <laughs> right? Like, I just don't respect them. They could have the best players in the world. I just, just simply don't respect them. And that's kind of how I feel about Kentucky in a, in a weird, weird kind of way. Yeah. Speaking of Kentucky, we'll now get into uh, kind of the, the end of this episode here. Anybody who ever listens to any of our podcasts knows we like to do a prospect to watch segment. Again, this is a prospect you may or may not be familiar with. Uh, somebody that is not quote-unquote heralded by quote-unquote draft gurus like Mel Kuyper. Uh, so, Paso, why don't you tell us a little bit about our prospect to watch this week in Jamar Watson, linebacker out of Kentucky. Yeah, so I don't think Kentucky gets a lot of love um, as far as prospect anyways, but Jamar Boogie Watson, linebacker for Kentucky. This might sound familiar. He's six foot three, two 248. He had uh, 6.5 sacks last year. I think he had close to uh, 10 tackles for losses. Around that, around that, at least uh, last year, his junior year, which is very similar to a guy named Josh Allen. You know, the guy that got drafted in the top ten uh, by the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, last year or two years ago. But they're, they're st- similar junior stats. And then Josh Allen blew up on the scene his senior year and had like, I mean, double-digit sacks and just was one of the best pass rushers in college football. But Jamar Watson, very similar career to Josh Allen, same kind of skill set, same type of size. I think Jamar Watson is a prospect to watch this year going into his senior year because he just continually gets better every single year. He's tall. He's lanky. Uh, he's, sorry, he's rangy. Uh, he's good at covering the tight end, which I think everyone loves to see if you're going to be an outside linebacker or stand-up defensive end. He can rush the passer, obviously. The one thing that he kind of struggles in a little bit is his run defense. He kind of gets blown up by guys at the next level and can't really shed blocks that well. But I think the more – that he develops his body, gains a little bit more weight. I think he's going to be able, able to do that. But really just from a prospect to watch, because I think right now he's probably got like a fifth, sixth-round grade on him. But if he can have – I'm not saying, obviously, because you like Josh Allen, he's going to shoot the draft boards. But, like, he's on the same trajectory, same type of skill set, same type of defense. Like, it just makes sense that he could break out this year for close to 10 sacks. And if he does, we could be talking about a day-two pick here, um, which, again, is great for that program and for Kentucky, great for Jamar. Boogie Watson, uh, I'm excited to see what he can do this year playing, especially. And the good thing about uh, playing all SEC football games is every game matters. And it, the scouts are going to look at every one of those games. So we're like in a normal college football program. Scouts have to pick like the best two or three games because half those stats come versus really crappy teams. But they're not playing crappy teams this year. Every team is a good team. So like you can get a true feel of how good he actually is because he's going to have to do it week in and week out. Yeah, I love his size, man. Uh, I love 6'3", 250. I uh, yeah, think he could be the next kind of great pass rusher out of Kentucky to follow Josh Allen. I uh, love his trajectory. Looks like every season he's gotten better. I like the 23 solo tackles last year. I love the six and a half sacks. I would anticipate that that sack number go up. 
Um, love to see some more forced fumbles as well, strip sacks, things of that nature. Yeah. But guy certainly has the size. He has the athleticism to do that. Um, you know, but to your point, you know, can I, can he be better against the run? Can he just not be a one trick pony? And I think that's ultimately what's going to, uh, kind of catapult him up, a, up draft boards, really, if he can kind of show that he's more, more well-rounded, but at the end of the day in the NFL, you, you need pass rushers and he's certainly got the size to do it. He's got the length. Uh, he's got the beef in order to go up there at 250. So I'd like to see him kind of get on the scene there, and I think that he can be a big part of Kentucky being competitive in the SEC, we, SEC East if he can prove to be a dominant force coming off the edge there. Absolutely. And I, more and more I kind of deep dove into linebackers in the SEC, man. They are very, very rich in, 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 in linebacking cores. Like, obviously, you got guys at Alabama that we're all going to be – like Moses will be a top 15 pick. Uh, we all know that, but like we're talking about guys at Missouri, Nick Bolton. I don't want to jump ahead of it because we're going to do a prospect show, but linebacking and the SEC, which I guess kind of makes sense. I just didn't realize how rich it was for next year's draft, and I'm extremely excited to start talking about these guys in our next next episode. Yeah, for sure. I think Dylan, you know, one guy we didn't mention today, Dylan Moses, uh, you know, guy who didn't play last year. I am very very interested to watch him on a weekly basis this week. And can he be that dom- next dominant Alabama linebacker? He certainly has the ability to do it. Certainly has the athleticism. Uh, but can he go ahead and kind of take that next step in order to be the best linebacker in the draft? Obviously he's competing against Michael, Michael Parsons, but they are, yeah, they're actually similar players. I mean, they're both inside backers. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. So, uh, you know, as always, you can follow and interact with Prospects 101 on social media. That's on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Prospects 101 Pod. Uh, we're posting our content throughout the week. You know, we're up to two to three shows a week. So great way to stay up to date and interact with us. Uh, make sure you listen to us and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. That ensures that you get all of our most recent uh, episodes automatically updated to your podcast app of preference. A lot of great uh, more college football and prospect content coming up as we start to near the start of the 2020 season. Uh, Make sure, please give us that five-star review. That really helps us in regards to spreading the word and really getting the show out there and being able to give this, you know, content out there as as we know that, you know, we're talking about things that people want to hear about. So please make sure you give us the five-star review. Appreciate you spreading the word. Uh, you know, for Pastel and myself, we'll go ahead and get out of here, but please tune in to the next edition of Prospects 101, where we'll talk about SEC and their NFL prospects in the 2021 NFL Draft. So for Pastel Gless, we will talk to you next time. Did somebody say playoffs? NBA and NHL are playing for the gold, and our partners at Bet Online have you covered. Get in at all the action, including a new NBA bracket contest with plenty of chances to win. MLB is pushing into the fall, and there's no shortage of ways to bet with hundreds of odds, futures, and props. So take advantage of the return of sports, and remember, the casinos never close. Check it out all day and all night. Go to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your welcome bonus. 
That's betonline.ag, promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online sportsbooks experts.